Titterpigs, the RPG podcast. Am I getting paid for this one? Hey, listeners, welcome back to episode 27. We're we're trucking right along. Um, we're back in the studio. We're doing this thing again. Mm-hmm. Scott, what's on our plate tonight? Well, on our plate tonight is is we're going to talk about a new segment that we're going to be doing. But I'll let you fill in the listeners about that. And then after that, we go into a wonderful discussion uh, with Pat Mooney uh, from Flagbearer Games, I believe it's called, talking about his his game Nations and Cannons, and it is was a fantastic discussion, uh, not just about the game itself but also about how he came about doing the game and the, um, the process that, that he took in bringing the game from his idea to all of us. So can't wait for our listeners to, uh, to listen to that. But before we get into that, as I mentioned, we've got a new segment. And what is that segment called, Keith? <laughs> so our new segment um, is yet to be named. So right now it's a prototype segment or a straw man. It is the yet to be named segment. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is Scott and I put together for our patrons four titles that we have both have in our collections and we let our patrons decide what we were going to read. And the intent here is we're going to read the product Mm -hmm. and we're going to discuss, um, dissect it, discuss it. And um, almost in like, what would you say, a review? Uh, kind of like a review, but it, I, I feel it falls more into, as you said, like we're going to be dissecting it bit by bit, whereas a review is going to give a summary of it all. So sure. maybe something, okay, I mean, maybe something more like a mixture between a deep dive and a review, because I'm sure as we're going along through this, we're going to be giving our opinions uh, as yeah. we page through the, uh, you know, whatever it is that we're reading. Right. So with that, we we had presented to our patrons mm-hmm. um, ElfQuest second printing not second edition second printing mm-hmm. fear itself second edition prince valiant story game the second one yep and heart the city beneath and our patrons had uh were so nice enough to choose for us the elf quest yes so we are going to deep dive into this uh box set mm-hmm. and we're going to do this in segments so we're going to break up the two booklets and the sundry bits and bobs in the box set yeah and in addition to giving some history about it we're going to break it break it up into segments over several episodes. Right. That's kind of our intent. Right. And the first one being ElfQuest, I know I'm excited about it, and likewise you are, because I think you oh, yeah. you and I are both fans of the comic, the, the ElfQuest oh, comic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, was a, it was a staple of mine growing up. Uh, it, was, it was definitely one that uh, I, I read over and over and over and over again and uh, continued to read... Uh, past the the initial run of the uh, the comics, which were encapsulated, well, at least back in the day, uh, four graphic novels, and then yep. 
There was likewise some additional novels that were written that uh, continued to read. And the comic book carried on after the end of uh, the, the initial run with uh, Blue Mountain. But um, I did read some of that. I didn't get too far into the continuing story. But as far as I understand, it did carry on for a few more years and eventually it did wrap up. Uh, but, uh, but I do know a bit of the ongoing lore. I just haven't read the comics themselves. But that's way beyond what this box set is about. So, but the, the first book that we're going to be reading is the elf book. Yep. And then we'll follow that up with the world book and then the bits and bobs. Mm -hmm. But that elf book is, it's a chunky little book for the box sets of the day. Yes. And I think we're going to break it up into two parts and the world book will be another part, and then everything else will be kind of wrap that up into a its own part with a summary mm-hmm. and some final thoughts. Yes, yeah. So that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah, it's 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 going to be fun because we'll go over in the history and death. But the the Elf Quest it was an interesting game when it came out. Uh, it was one of those where it it might have been considered a critical darling. Uh, it did get good reviews, but it just didn't sell. And, you know, we, as we go into it, maybe we will discover some of the reasons why. So we, yeah. we are, I've never read it. So this is, <clears throat> this is going to be interesting for me anyway. So I'm looking forward to it. So a shout out to our patrons, right, Scott? Yes. You know, Hey, thanks for taking the time to cast your votes. Mm-hmm. And I think our next step is to figure out a name. And in doing so, we're going to pitch to patrons, uh, three or four names once we've kind of worked out the the finality of those right. and let them decide uh, and weigh in what the what this segment's going to be called. So if you'd like to be part of that and part of future votes for additional books that we deep dive into, mm-hmm. you know, don't forget to go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash titterpigs and subscribe. Yeah, absolutely. And and also we will have the link in the description so you can always click on that there. So, I think we should get on to our main segment, talking about yes. talking about uh, nations and canons. But first, a little word from our sponsor. All right, we are back with our main segment for this episode. And with us tonight in the studio is... Pat Mooney, he is the lead designer and founder of Flagbearer Games. So, Pat, welcome, welcome to Titterpigs. Howdy! Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, no, welcome. Thank you, and and and, and thank you for coming back after Kisa Klaus of Fubar with the other uh, <laughs> uh, appointment. And, and yes, and yet, and, and yes, you know, shaming Keith is part of the show, so we're not going to edit this out. Uh, but no, Pat, welcome, and we do appreciate you coming here to. Talk about Flagbearer Games and and you know your uh your you know for you know excuse the pun the the flagship game of uh <laughs> of of, of Flagbearer Games Nation and Cannons. Uh, it's almost like we did that on purpose. I know, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but but uh, but an interesting game. Uh, you know something that uh you know Keith brought to my attention. Um, you know I've I've had the uh, I don't have the physical book itself, but I've you know gone through your website, seen. Some discussions of it, and you know, breeze through some of the uh, the PDF, and uh, it's it's an interesting game. And so we're, you know, as Keith mentioned, we're here to have you 
talk about this game and we've got questions but before we do um uh, we like to do the typical you know shtick that a lot of the podcasters do out here is we like to know the people that we're talking to their background uh, uh primarily their background in gaming uh what was your introduction to you know to the hobby what was the game that kind of propelled you into it and likewise your uh your inspiration for moving on from just a hobbyist to a game creator so uh I was one of those sort of perpetual aspirants growing up where uh, I never really got a chance to play any TTRPGs until college. I think I had one like abortive session of D&D, you know, some in someone's, uh, you know, basement once that did not go well. Um, But uh, I really cut my teeth i dove straight into uh gming because i had a bunch of my friends uh and had no idea what i was doing made tons of mistakes uh i did that thing where i thought i knew better than the rules and i went in and edited it and made all sorts of house rules um (laughs) on the fly which wound up completely biting me in the ass um and the the game that i cut my teeth on was actually the uh star wars uh saga edition which is a uh sort of a little known cul-de-sac that the d20 uh rule set went down right somewhere between the end of D 3.5 uh and fourth edition um right. and there was a lot of holdover mechanics there and some that that i think iterated on in quite interesting ways um from some d20 modern concepts and mm-hmm. uh you might actually be able to recognize some of that shot through in the work that became nations and canons mm-hmm so before we get into like talking about nations and canons, I got to ask though. So with your limited exposure, you know, until you got older, your game aside, what's your favorite role-playing game? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I would have to say probably Wraith um, from White Wolf, right? Wow. Uh, but wow. it's one that, and it's not even really the mechanics themselves, just the concept, I think, is such a cool... It, there's so much creative freedom in that to be able to take anything, you know, um, as especially as a history buff, right? To, to, mm-hmm. to grab any type of backstory from, you know, a person from any time period and then inject it into this kind of phantasmagorical, you know, mashup. Um, there's a lot of really great storytelling opportunities there. And it's a shame that they're just isn't a lot of mechanical support, right? It's it's one of those areas of White Wolf that is sort of criminally underrepresented. And um, I, if they ever choose to resuscitate it in any of their modern offerings, I wish it the absolute best. I will 100% patronize it if so. That's awesome. Wow, that that, that awesome. one that one was pulled right out of the hat. You know, that's great. <laughs> Wraith is one that, you know, and hopefully it will be, but I, I assume that may or may not ever be, be mentioned again because that, wow, that's... From left field, that's that's excellent. I can't, what I was the subtitle? Was that. it Wraith the Awakening? I think. Oh God, I yeah, I, don't, I can't even remember. I no, it's Wraith the Oblivion because it's Mage the Awakening. Ah, right, right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. right. So yeah, for somebody who doesn't do a lot of White Wolf games, I I tend to know names. I don't know why, <laughs> but it's okay. No, it's, it's yeah, a, it's that a, was definitely out of left field. So yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for entertaining that question. So you mentioned something, uh, you know, in your comment about Wraith before we get into Nation and Canons. You did say you're a history buff, which obviously I would imagine you would have to be of some sorts to roll into the type of game that, uh, you know, Nations and Canons is. So do you have a academic background in history or is it just something that you essentially have a 
have had an interest in for mm-hmm. some time now? Uh, so I have a minor in art history, uh, mm-hmm. which sounds like it uh, might not be relevant, but it sure is, <laughs> um, uh, because a lot of the material that we wound up putting into Nations and Canons is artwork from the public domain um, that's pulled from 18th and 19th century artists, some period artwork, mm-hmm. right? But some sort of from that kind of post-Civil War, you know, upsurge of Americana, of people trying to define, you know, pictorially what the country is and what it's all about in the first right. centennial. Um, I, my um, academic background uh, is in sort of media studies. Uh, mm-hmm. And then in, I have a um, uh, an MFA in, in design and in, in game design. Um, mm-hmm. And so I teach uh, game design at the university level. I also am fortunate enough to work at um, at a small gamification company, Best Out of Brooklyn, um, for my day job. Right, mm-hmm. so I have a lot of background, you know, not not a formal training in history, mm-hmm. but of ways to approach complex systems and and find ways to take those types of uh. uh very broad data sets and interpret them into ways that become uh, understandable through gameplay where you can communicate kind of the story or distill down through gameplay mechanics, um, broad trends over the course of, of periods in time. Right. No, a- excellent. Excellent. Um, you know, so uh, I'll have HR call you and uh, it's, been, it's been a nice interview. And no, I'm kidding. Uh, no. So, yeah. And, and and to be perfectly honest, it wasn't like, you know, hey, well, you know, show us your resume for this, because we we all know that simply being a history buff is enough for anyone to make a role playing game about a historic event. So it's it's yeah. The important part really is that you just do your homework and you you dig into it. Um, right. I was at Gen Con, I think a couple of years ago, um, mm-hmm. and I was, I, you know, people have been asking me this exact question, right? And I was waffling on it, right? And somebody came up, and I'll always remember this, and told me, um, all right, but now you've published a book and you have a published history credit to your name. Um, and, you know, the, uh, take it or leave it. I uh, I think the work that we put into Nations of Canons like, has a certain amount of academic rigor to it. Um, right. And that by default makes me a historian <laughs> makes me a published historian right <laughs> so um you know uh i'll take it um i'll, right. I'll, I'll put up on the wall and uh if anybody has to complain uh you know they can call the hr department <laughs> oh no that's fine <laughs> just 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 know that you will be asked to be on kunk on america too uh as a historian <laughs> so um but uh, no excellent all right well keith you 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 take the lead again sorry i've been all right no 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 this is this is all good stuff so i think this is stuff that listeners want to hear right um so for listeners now i've heard your pitch at gen con last year because that's where i learned about your game for i think i was talking with you and i'm not sure who else was with you you had two other people in the booth with you Everybody did a fantastic job giving me the game pitch and selling me on it. I'm a I'm a history guy. I'm a tabletop war gamer, hex encounter war games, in addition to role playing games and all that stuff. And the American Rev War is like one of my like super interest items. So, but for listeners, can you give them your elevator pitch to what Nations and Canons is and what it offers? You know, the gaming community. Sure. Uh, so Nations and Canons is uh, an adaptation of uh, the 5e rule set for playing historically grounded adventures set during the 18th century. Uh, and so we have rules for 
taking the supernatural elements out of the game, uh, replacing your elves and your wizards with uh, red coats and muskets, uh, and creating a uh, kind of a game space leading into some of the particulars of um, black powder warfare, um, but also other aspects of the colonial world, like um, spycraft and espionage, uh, humoral medicine, um, all types of, uh, of strange and daring uh, light infantry and ranging operations um, and bringing that to the fore. So you can play in, uh, you know, these uh, adventure campaigns set in real world history. Um, our primary product uh, that we uh, is oriented around the American Revolutionary War, like you said, uh, and we just did a Kickstarter for a, a companion booklet, um, which is going to be a full on uh, campaign guide that covers the American Revolution, um, the first half of the war, actually, from 1775 uh, and the Siege of Boston, all the way through to Valley Forge, um, hopefully to be followed up if we are successful uh, with uh, a second book um, covering the second half. But uh, one of the questions we get all the time is, well, with this rule set, you know, can you apply it to other periods in uh, in, in history? And and really, our intention, you know, uh, in the long term, is really build rules that you can use um, to imagine yourself in a, a role of kind of heroic resistance um, anytime throughout the age of revolutions. Uh, hmm. And so, kind of the historical range that we're targeting is, you know, between around. Uh, 1650 to, uh, you know, the eve of the American Civil War, um, right. sort of the extended uh, long 18th century. Okay, I, I want Ex more. No, I want more. <laughs> no excellent. It's, I can keep going. No, 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 no. I just I want more game. I mean, this I, I, is right up my alley. So I wasn't there. I, I, Keith was on his own, but I can see now why. You know, he, he was just, you know, suddenly he's just he's six years old and he's listening to tales of the Revolutionary War. He's like, can I have more? Um, yeah. So, yeah, he, no wonder he was sold on it. That's that's excellent. I mean, that's that's a, that's fantastic. That and my so. son loves your cloth maps. And he was the one that actually told me to go buy your booth to go buy him a map. <laughs> oh, I owe him some kudos. Oh, definitely uh, tell him to stop by. I'll, I'll, I'll give him some swag next time. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully he'll be with me at uh, Gen Con in 24. We're all going to make a return. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, thanks for giving us your elevator pitch. I think that mm -hmm. kind of sets the the tone for our conversation this evening. Scott. Yeah. I know you got, I know you're chomping at the bit. So, um, you know, again, if, if I was walking by your booth and you, you, you told me about that game, I would be like, Keith, like, tell me more, but of course, you know, with it and it, you know, it's stamped on the front, like all games are. Uh, it is, it, like you said, it's a modified fifth edition rule set. Mm -hmm. And um, I am, I've, I've always been a proponent for third party fifth edition games, uh, settings, uh, adventures, campaigns, that kind of thing. Um, because I, I do feel that it does a far better job representing the 5e rule set to those who are fans of the game uh, currently, you know, better than. You know the the owners of the five E rule set. Not you know we're not going to turn this into a disparaging moment, but hmm. but but yeah. But but that aside, um, you know, and this this is not a slight against you or, or anyone else, but of course with with the five E rule set comes the stigma of those who may or may not like it, and also who feel like, well, why? What is it about the fifth edition rule set, especially in something that's that's a drastic change from your standard? 
you know, fifth 500th Kickstarter for another set of rules involving elves and dwarves and demons and devils. Um, what is it about the fifth edition rule set that, that, you know, that made you decide to use it as the platform for your game? So I'm, I'm going to take this one and run with it because I've got okay. uh, a couple of different responses um, sure. that I think are, are, are relevant here. But I think mm -hmm. the top one that you said here um, of, of people taking and hacking and remixing 5e yes. as a creative exercise um, is, I think, really important. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's something that was demonstrated, you know, uh, over the, the duration of the kind of. OGL kerfuffle um, yeah. at the top of the year, right? Um, and, and and again, as as someone who teaches game design, right? Mm -hmm. I've always been an, a strong proponent of taking, you know, of, of effectively modding games, right? You see this right. uh, in the digital design space all the time, right? Like, yeah. you know, games like uh, Counter-Strike or, yeah. um, or any of the variants of uh, tower defense games, right? Mm -hmm. League of Legends. Um, and the MOBA genre, all of these have their roots in um, working within the modding scene of an existing engine of a, of a game and making it your own. Because quite frankly, um, it it that allows you to tap into an existing audience and mm -hmm. to put a lot of the creative uh, focus on making interesting design work within the realm of the you know the engine of the rule set that you're working right. in, um, rather than building something from the ground up um and so uh that's that's something where you know during that that fight i was kind of on the front lines i i, I wanted to make sure that our voices were heard um because that's incredibly important for you know a, a niche product like uh an imagining of the american revolution in a tabletop role playing right that's right. something that um that you know kind of by economic necessity was one of the reasons why we decided to uh, to work with the 5e engine, you know, just to be blank, because it has a large install base. Right. Um, but a big reason for that and kind of uh, the, the, our, what we wanted to do to get, um, to work with something that had a large install base was particularly to approach that from an educational angle, right? Okay. Um, so in schools, schools are now starting to um, approach D&D &D more and more um as something as part of their curriculum they're they're running electives you know creative writing exercises um it's being used for uh special needs uh classrooms after school programs you name it right and it's mm -hmm. you know it's scattershot it totally depends on your district it depends on how you know willing or avant-garde your instructors are right right um but something that you know we've heard over and again right is that when we're building uh, material for educators that we want to be able to use, you know, in the classroom or in, you know, an extended, uh, you know, uh, environment like an after-school program or a library, uh, you know, uh, weekend activity, something along mm -hmm. those lines, we could actually get in and run a full, you know, uh, session for a couple hours. It's hard for those games curious teachers um, to dig in and get the lay of the land of, of an entirely new story game, right? right. Um, if I have to learn a new system from scratch every time I want to like run an exercise, um, you know, uh, there might be the the contingent of like the most hardcore, you know, game teachers who are really mm -hmm. into it. But outside yeah. of that, right, there's a lot more teachers who are already using D&D &D for educational purposes right. um, that we're trying to reach. Um, and so, you know, we actually, we have an educational mission, 
with this mm-hmm. game. Um, okay. uh, and I want, wanted to just, just talk about this for a sec. Yes. If you are uh, a teacher, a librarian, a homeschooling, you know, parent, um, if you're, you know, a docent or a museum, you know, instructor uh, at a historic site, um, you can go to our website and you can request a copy of the nation's canon school rules. We'll put it in the mail. We'll send it off to you completely free of charge. Right. Wow. Um, uh, because we, we think it's really important. Obviously, this is a project with a lot of civics learning um, baked into it, right? It allows you to imagine the world of the past um, from a first-person perspective, which is not the one that you get from reading history books or, or you know, um, or <laughs> you know, general social studies education because it's it's That's very right. top level. All right. uh, and and so you know that was was another reason, sort of a supplemental reason why we chose five E. Mm-hmm. Um, now within the five E framework, right? Um, there's uh, I don't want to denigrate anybody else's product, right? But there, there are the the cash grabs, right? Uh, oh yeah. I'm not going to name names, and yeah. there are the the people who've gone in and and tried to do it, you know, uh, diligence and actually make something, carve something out there that is interesting and does uh, does something neat in that design space. And that's mm-hmm. what what we've, you know, once we identified that as our target, we decided to go in hard and try and you know um, do stuff that's, that's really unique. The the kind of secret sauce of nations and canons is can can be expressed as um well alexander hamilton definitely knew vicious mockery uh and right uh you know a single shot uh muzzle loaded musket actually engages in a pretty interesting way with the action economy of your standard standard combat round right mm-hmm. um because it, this this allows you to have you know uh weapons that deal tremendous amounts of damage at range um but actually require you know, a turn to reload. Um, and right. so that gets you into all kinds of like interesting um, periods of mechanical expression where um, you've got things like burst damage lined up. Like, um, you know, uh, we want to allow you to, as the player, kind of customize your uh, your loadout, right? Um, you like battle uh, like Blackbeard, you know, with a brace of pistols uh, strapped across your chest, um, or you might carry a musket in your hands and a rifle strapped uh, over your back. Um, mm-hmm. And that really leads into the the sort of colonial fantasy of, um, you know, the the uh, light infantry or the rangers uh, of the Continental Army ambushing a British patrol in the woods and blowing them right. away, right? Right. Um, and, and the the fantasy that we're trying to capture there, it's not sort of your line soldier, right, of, um, you know... Uh, you're in the 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 camp um roll to see if you catch dysentery and die right um it's <laughs> it's it's a uh larger than life folk hero you know um uh sort of secrets behind the history um where you're playing characters like daniel boone um or uh, or patrick henry or alexander hamilton like these these figures that um that have already a bit of a mythos attached to them and you know by the time you reach the higher levels you have become in essence a folk hero yourself right you're you're essentially um you know taking on the role of the painting of the crossing of the potomac mm-hmm. uh you know the like you said the mythological aspect of it all um you know val- valiant men standing against you know the uh the cold of winter as they you know chest out as they cross the potomac may not have exactly happened that way but that's how you want to envision that in this type of game. And that's that's kind of what I read with within taking a look at it. Uh, you know, the, uh, the couple discussions I had with, you know, with Keith was, you know, this is the draw to it is, like you said, 
even though it does take away some of the the mythical the mythological aspects of fantasy these are still in line with the aesthetics of what 5e is and you are heroic characters you know you are larger than life even in this particular setting even though you don't wield a plus five you know axe and you're you know you don't have all these spells no and potions blades. to support you yeah no no vorpal no vorpal sabers <laughs> no vorpal key. bayonets unfortunately yeah, yeah. uh but um but yeah so i mean they, that's um that makes sense because and that's that's kind of the answer i was hoping for because as, as i mentioned i i've never been anti fifth edition like some people are uh you know one of my favorite third party games that really took uh 5e and did very similar to what you did was uh, uh the team that came out with uh, Brancalonia uh mm-hmm. the italian the italian spaghetti western one that was one of the first ones that i saw where i'm like oh you know, this is making fifth edition interesting again, you know, for me and others, this is making it fun. And, and I'm, and as you mentioned, the familiarity with the rules makes it so much easier to like, Oh, I don't need to relearn the wheel. I can just throw this down, learn the, you know, the game setting and we're off to the races. And we've also, um, we've also balanced it kind of against that principle, right? Yeah. Where it, it is balanced in line with kind of core five E so mm-hmm. that if you wanted to take our black powder system um, and drop it straight in your homebrew game, so right. you have you know uh, elves and muskets, and you have the opportunity to fire you know uh, an eighteen pound cannon against the dragon, right? You know, <laughs> so be it, right? Um, I I want to support that a hundred percent. Right, right. So that's that's fantastic, and 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 I and I do I my my wife's an educator, uh, and I I have been fo- witness to a lot of things that you described. Um, in fact, her history teacher uh, is the uh, the president of the D and D club, so I will definitely give him your information. <laughs> Call uh, me <laughs> re- regarding that. Yeah. So and and you know my son, his D and D club at at his high school, you know numbers, you know in you know up to over a hundred right now. So it's it's existent. And it's so much easier as an educator when you're trying to present something new. Uh, you know, there's this wonderful historic game that's that's being run on the the PDQ system, and and they're like, wait, what? I I don't. But, oh, there's this wonderful game that that uses D and D to tell kids about the American Civil War. It's like, oh, that's that crap my my kids watch. Uh, yeah, I know what that is. Let's let's roll with this. So the familiarity of it is another plus, as you said. To um, you know, to base it on the fifth edition system. So there you go. My my, my question has been answered, and 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 I'm a happy camper. So and good night, folks. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So with with the the game being able to you know span you know nearly a 200 year range in theory, uh, the 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 overarching setting of the the time periods in which you want it to be a applied to um but with nations and canons itself being the american revolutionary war so is there representation for indigenous people enslaved and and freemen and women yeah um i mean this is this is the most important question that we get all the time right and uh it's it's extremely especially as something that has an educational mission right um our our kind of ethos our mission statement is that it's everybody's history, 
right? right. Um, we really want okay. to allow you to uh, think back into the the heroic past and to imagine yourself from a position of agency, you know, no matter who you are or how you identify or uh, how the character that you're playing is, right? Um, so we we don't have the concept of, of fantastical races. Um, what we do have are, you know, a similar system uh, where when you create a character, you choose your party role. And your role is things like you're the, the pioneer, the veteran, the scholar, the scout, right? Um, and these all have, you know, some different traits, um, some special abilities, and some background information um, that's that's trying to kind of get you thinking in in that period um, about, you know, what different types of people were and what, what they, they did, you know, um, mm -hmm. vocationally, right? Um, but uh, importantly, in addition to choosing your role, uh, you have a heritage, which you choose. Right. Um, and your heritage right. has absolutely no gameplay benefit whatsoever right. right it can it controls the language that you learn um, um outside of that right uh it doesn't confer any statistical benefits and that is extremely mm -hmm. important to us um and you are free to mix and match any heritage with any role um so okay. you know as part of the system we've got these these mechanics but then we also have an overview of you know all of the different peoples that were involved in the revolution um mm -hmm. so you know we've got your colonials um and then uh you know um, a, a suite of, of different um indigenous nations right um most importantly in the campaign book that we're working on right now um uh the Haudenosaunee or the Iroquois Confederacy is going to feature very prominently um because okay. a lot of that um the action that took place around Saratoga they, they were very decisive and very important uh, moments in in their story um, but you know, lots of other uh, other nations, um, like the um, other tribes that uh, and nations that exist in the Ohio country, um, the the Seminole down in Florida, and then touching on other you know colonial empires and peoples that live in there. So you know, uh, we talk about uh, New Spain, um, the islands that kind of uh, are off the coast in the Caribbean, um, and you know, of course, um, uh, of the African peoples that were transported there um, mm -hmm. and that were transported to the colonies. Um, it's we have a number of pre-generated characters that you can go on our website. These are kind of they're featured in our key art. They're um, you know uh, shot through that role system, um, and you know over half of them aren't white dudes, right? Um, you've got figures like Sally Sinclair or Deborah Sampson, right? Who you know uh, were women who served on the battlefield, essentially disguised um, as as men um, in the Continental Army, and this is a phenomenon that's happened throughout history. There are lots of documented instances, um, you know, in in our uh, book that we're talking about. Um, we have uh, you know one character is a rogue Jesuit priest. Uh, another uh, <laughs> is um, uh, a Portuguese fellow by the name of uh, Peter Francisco, uh, who was like six foot six in the 18th century, uh, which when everyone was extremely malnourished made him a giant among men um, referred to as Washington's Hercules. Right. Um, again, talking about your, your tall tales, right. Right. Um, a couple of different, uh, several different, you know, indigenous characters that we have there uh, that, that are playable. One of them is named uh, Seymour Burr. Uh, he, this is a, um, a, a black man who was 
uh, enslaved by the Burr family. Aaron Burr is sort of ill repute, right? Who, right. Um, as the story goes, threatened to defect to serve in the British army um, if he was not given leave and 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 emancipated to go fight as a patriot. Um, and so, the, you know, there's all, all kinds of ways where we really want to engage with history and find these specific touchstones that allow you to, you know, play as a, a non-white person, a non, you know, non-male person, right, mm -hmm. in the past, but still have that level of heroic agency. And that really comes down to your GM, right? Um, you know, do I want to uh, try to stick to representing the class structure and the sort of the, the repressed societal roles that kind of were shot through in colonial society, um, do I, which sort of fighting against the system is something that can be cathartic to some people in some types of campaigns, right? right? Um, yep. Or do I want to reimagine a, a kind of a more equitable past uh, or, or the way that things might have been? Because the interesting thing about revolutions is anytime you have one of these kind of struggles, no one knows quite what country is 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 going to be made at the end if the country right. even even comes out so you know you have those words all men are created equal and it's kind of a cynical exercise by some you know by jefferson who's the one writing it while he owns you know hundreds of people on his plantation right. um you have others who are sort of more ardent uh true believers um thomas paine you know famously was a kind of a, a radical egalitarian for his time and wound up ostracized for it bouncing around back and forth to, to europe and kind of died penniless and forgotten despite the fact that his words were incredibly important in stirring up this this uh revolutionary fervor that kind of propelled the country to war right having uh inclusivity baked into the game is extremely important to us mm -hmm. um and we also you know that extends not just to our content but also to um our our production team right mm -hmm. and you know we really want to tell uh more stories from a non-white perspective um, but some of those really aren't my story to tell wherever possible we've got a couple contributors that we have um that uh that are fantastic and i love working with them and you know we are always always looking for uh more uh black writers writers from from you know any number of, of uh various indigenous groups um because again we see nations and canons as as a product that can support stories you know um set outside of north america right mm -hmm. um story or uh from from all different moments in history highlighting that kind of heroic resistance to colonial rule um and so it, you know at its heart the thesis of nations and canons is uh kind of an an anti-colonial one where the big bad right. is really you know the 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 empire states of the day this is it kind of encapsulates it in a nutshell um you know this it's and this is what kind of irks me when i see you know when i've seen certain people kind of comment on the game without even you know looking into it further knowing what the company is that flagbearer games is what nations and canons is about uh, there's just kind of like that, you know, that that knee jerk reaction to certain things in this current climate. But if you would just take a moment, you know, obviously listening to this podcast, but but also I think one thing I'd like to do is is maybe predicate it in in either and when we send out the message is um, I was just looking at, you know, your mission statement, which you have on your website. And and I recommend that anyone who's interested in the game go there and download the mission statement because it touches on all of this and more. 
shows you the integrity of what Flagberry Games is. So then, you know, that thank, thank you. you for yeah. th thank you for doing that because not a, a game such as this does deserve to be handled in a certain way. And to me, it seems like you've done that and then some. So, so most definitely would like to you know bring people's attention to that. If there's any yeah, question, it's, it, of the it's game. always going to be at the forefront of our minds, right? right. Um, and you know, in that adventure campaign, um, you know, book that we just kickstarted, um, mm -hmm. you know making sure that we have appropriate sensitivity tools that are, that are built so that a GM can kind of get a sense of, all right, what's my, my party's, you know, um, level of comfort in, in right. dealing with the historic past. We never want to whitewash the past, right? Right. Because it is important to be able to represent things, you know, that players can, can struggle against. Mm. We just want to make sure that in our scenario design, we never align the players with the interests of of oppressors right no and and Thank and, and kudos and kudos for doing uh level two and level four characters uh <laughs> no i don't know of anyone who would who does that it's just like here's something deal with it but you you've made two different versions so uh applause for the extra heavy lifting on that part so um yeah all right keith what i else have a mechanical have? question uh oh here we go we're getting we're getting to the critique no 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 we're not <laughs> so Gambits. Talk to us and listeners about Gambits. <laughs> Just because I, when I read the book and I had to reread it, and I know I critiqued that part of it on my on my Rolling Boxcars review, in some way, I, I totally get what it's intending to do and replace. You know, some of it feels, at least to me, maybe I'm just the odd person out, but some of it feels in, in certain instances a little shoehorned in to align with the the OGL uh, game design. Am I just looking at it the wrong way? Or I mean, that's it's possible, right? So I'll, I'll explain. Gambits are, in, in a game that's using the 5e system, right, um, you need to have some variation which which expresses casting right uh in some way now this is not spell casting because there's no spells because there's no wizards in the 18th century mm -hmm. um we've kind of taken that idea and we've gone through and, and some of the examples i gave before were um like humoral medicine right um or mm -hmm. uh spycraft and intelligence network um creating inspirational speeches to give a, a sort of a concrete example right um you can have gambits uh where you are still expressing um, similar effects that you might be able to have in a standard 5e game, but we take it and we put it on its head a little bit. So uh, Fugas is a really good example here. Fugas is, is effectively an improvised explosive. Uh, it's a pit uh, that you dig uh, and then fill with kind of a mixture of gunpowder uh, and debris. Um, and as you're, you're digging it, you're kind of like angling this mortar um, to target a specific location, right? Okay. Um, to then be uh, ignited at a later point in time. So we've set this up so that's, you know, it takes an hour to cast. Um, you have to have gunpowder and shovels and you have to be able to, to dig that pit and set your target point. Um, and then, you know, it only takes an action to light the charge um, and, and to, you know, have it kind of fire explosively. And, and that more or less represents a fireball type of effect, right? But, you know, I can't snap my fingers like a wizard and accomplish this effect in six seconds. Also, I need to kind of do it strategically, right? Uh, I can't, if I'm aiming to do this to set up an ambush, well, then I'm going to need to, you know, go get that patrol of redcoats, 
get their attention, lead them through the woods until they get to kind of just the right spot that I can pull the trigger. So we're able to still have these types of effects, but they require more planning and forethought and, and, you know, more work into the narrative, frankly, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to kind of represent these types of things that a, a ranger might be able to achieve. There are some, you know, uh, there's some spells within 5e that uh, can be more or less reflavored to be things that are, are working in a mundane context, right? This is sort of what the Artificer class does a little bit, although, you know, that's sort mm-hmm. of shot through with kind of steampunk mad scientist energy. Um, right, but if you right. think, kind of take that concept and apply it to something like alarm, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, the alarm spell lets you know if somebody kind of trespasses into a certain area. Um, right. And that's normally it's like it's sort of a telepathic alarm that you're receiving. But let's say that, you know, the ranger uh, draws a couple of trip lines, right, and rigs them up with bells um, so that, you know, noise is created when someone crosses that barrier. You can have that effect and 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 have it still make sense in a historic context. Um, this is something that we are trying to expand on right um i think the old gl situation has has also demonstrated uh, we want to be less and less reliant on things that you know aren't in the srd right and to create new alternatives wherever possible um and so you know one of the things that we're interested in doing in the future kind of expanding from our existing core rules which are you know designed to be played with the player's handbook um Mm -hmm. and you know to uh kind of borrow aspects from it to ultimately creating a Age of Revolutions book that's standalone that reproduces, you know, the elements of 5e. Um, so you can just play this book in and of itself. Right. Um, and as part of that exercise, creating uh, new gambits um, that, that you know, go into these effects. There's loads of effects that we have that we can create. Um, mm-hmm. What it comes down to is kind of balancing the concepts, you know, like if I, if I sit down to create uh, an effect about an artillery barrage or a dead drop in the woods, or, you know, um, if I take compelled duel and I reskin it as, uh, the code dwello, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and allowing you to challenge an opponent to a formal duel. Um, these are all things that, you know, that can absolutely work within the kind of larger than life aesthetic that was colonial society. Um, you just have to, they, they do the work and think about ways to find mechanical expressions that work within the rule set rather than chafing against it. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think maybe I, when I was reading the book initially, I think maybe my headspace was not aligning to what, you know, the book is trying to tell me gambits are and how they work and that they're an adaptation and all of that. So that may be on completely on me to not have not fully grasped it um and grokked it when i read it so it's 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 interesting because i i had a a similar you know um effect when when i was reading through them and i I think it simply has to do with the fact that they're structured like spells you know so your your brain has to do a little bit of a minor heavy lifting to realize that okay no these aren't spells but if i'm following your correct if i'm following you correctly they're structured as such because of ha- the requirements of the OGL or, or SRD, but the effects themselves aren't really spell related. It's just that you have to use that structure to create these essentially mundane but yet fantastic effects 
without them being magical in nature, but you still have to retain the core. This is a level one, you know, conjuration yeah, it, yeah, spell yeah. and stuff like that. So, and, yeah. and that, you know, having a suite of sort of extraordinary effects that mm -hmm. are, you know, at a player's disposal that aren't simply, oh, I attack or I attack in weird ways, um, right. I think is, is really important to like the DNA of 5e. Right. right. Um, but it's it's something that we're, you know, we're we're interested in pushing the envelope. You know, we have um we post uh prototype content to our uh our Discord and and Reddit and a couple other places uh pretty frequently. One that I just did uh, and and you know, a, a lot of the conversation that goes on in, in 5e circles is like, you know, finding out ways to give uh fighter, you know, martial classes more more stuff to do outside of combat, right? So that they feel like they have the same amount of uh, contribution to the narrative as a spellcaster who has this list of really cool effects that they can just you know go through the 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 spell index um and pull out as the situation requires uh so one concept that we were prototyping right now um is is something called tool techniques right and this this isn't in a published book i'm just you know talking about other cool stuff but we've yeah. got lots of ideas here where like you know um finding out ways that like you might be able to take um, a munitions kit, which is one of the new tools that we've introduced, right? Or a napping kit mm -hmm. um, or or uh, printing supplies, you know, um, to be able to come up with like, a, you know, a, a little improvised explosive to use your thieves tools to, um, you know, when no one is looking, uh, quickly pry some gems loose, uh, you know, from you know, an ornate display in the, uh, the nobleman's uh, manner, right? Uh, to... Uh, train yourself to be, you know, more tolerant uh, against certain poisons by using a poisoner's kit or, or even, you know, uh, chef's mm. utensils, right? Um, to to you know, find all the ways that we can like lock onto those kinds of like effects that live in the more nitty gritty that that we can attach to tools or weapons or supplies you know um or other things that that represent you know um cool stuff that's going on in in, in history interesting i mean I, I and and you can see that also right now because one of the things that i noticed on on your website again i'm just you know you know don't mind me i'm looking at it but you, you you've included a a something that's coming soon poor richard's almanac which looks like it's weather and and other things to add extra flavor and spice to your game to you know, yeah, uh, that, that was yeah. that was one of our sort of side uh, projects for the Kickstarter. Um, it's going to be one half weather rules, expanded uh, exploration, uh, mm -hmm. but also Ben Franklin witticisms, jokes and and uh, uh, insults that are appropriate to the era. <laughs> right? There's, ben... we, we can just sh uh, give it as much 18th century uh, oh. fun flavor because if you ever if you were cracked open an almanac even yeah. today but especially looking back at that time period they're mm -hmm. wild objects because they're they, they have you know oh well this is a, a prognostication of what the weather is going to be like so this if if this actually is any semblance of accuracy could be useful to a farmer um, but then it's just a bunch of like ribald like jokes and like weird observations um, and it just becomes a kind of a very fun document that it's like right. one part like interactive and and other you know very very flavorful representation of that era right i'm intrigued oh, oh ben ben franklin the uh revolutionary war edition or war version of the 5e horny bard uh so yeah um kids if you don't know about it look it up um <laughs> so. oh my god another another one of the uh stretch goals that we achieved uh which i'm i'm pretty excited uh to look forward to uh is a 
standalone adventure we're going to release as a PDF kind of explicitly for those people that have been using Nations and Canons to make their own mm-hmm. flintlock fantasy stories um, mm-hmm. called uh, Benjamin Franklin Banshee Slayer. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, oh. uh, going to be, you know, set in that era uh, with uh, all of the lightning conjuring, you know, uh, spooky glass harmonica playing goodness um, where you can mix and match, yeah. you know, the the occult and, you know, folkloric monsters from this era uh oh. and, and maybe inject a little bit of uh of the supernatural back into now game. now you've sold me because uh, keith keith is the traditional history fanatic yeah. of the duo i love historical games but i need my west to be weird i need my <laughs> my world war ii to have cthulhu tentacles in it and and you've just pulled me into the Revolutionary War with uh, Ben Franklin fighting race. So yes, that's that's I will be looking forward to that one. <laughs> so you mentioned you know being in line with the OGL, the SRD, and then maybe you know branching away from the dependency on having like the player's handbook to be able to use the Nations and Canons book. Um, so how does the OGL kerfuffle of of earlier this year? How does that affect you guys, like big picture wise? It's something that we're paying attention to, um, okay. but I don't have, you know, we're kind of staying nimble and seeing where things are going to shake up. Um, the good news for us is that, you know, our core rules are, they're already there, they're published, um, they, they were published well in advance of all this. Yep. So, you know, from a copyright perspective, we're good. Um, although I think the conversation has kind of moved on from that yeah, now sure. that the OGL has been released um, uh, under the Creative Commons license. But yeah. um what we're doing for the time being is really focusing on content, right? Um, and the the adventure chapters and um, and, and you know even additional information that we have in the American Crisis book uh, are things like annotated almanacs the the, the Northeast Coast uh, of specific cities like New York, Boston, Philadelphia, talking you know write ups of historical figures um that you know were aligned with the patriot cause and they were aligned with the british cause mm-hmm. um timelines like all the stuff that you can do either to follow our adventure campaign or to tell your own stories set in that uh kind of campaign setting um and that's all stuff that's it's not quite rules agnostic um but i, I definitely have talked to people who you know aren't interested in 5e but are interested in you know using that and using that story and that storytelling material um mm-hmm. you know maybe even in you know, something like blades in the dark uh you know refactored as uh guns in the woods right Ooh. um uh or, or or other systems because campaign book stuff um it's going to have a little bit of like hard mechanical stuff, like references to conditions like exhaustion. It's going to probably have some enemy stat blocks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, most of the material is, is story-based is narrative. And that's stuff that we can continue to put out for the time being um, while we kind of wait and see what the licensing is going to look like with one D and D. And if we want to follow that in the future. Didn't know if you guys were going to, like you said, wait to see what they do with one D and D or whatever name it ends up being. Um, or if you were going to try to switch gears and go to what's the new one, Orc, ORC. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the uh, Black Flag uh, Black just came. I think they they wrapped already, um, uh, but they had a pretty yeah. big raise on Kickstarter um, and they've got they're doing their own system. So, yeah, we're, we're keeping our options open. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, we're sort of following the trends and, and we'll, we'll have probably more information um, in uh, early 2024 to announce on that's that. That's fair. No, that's fair. Thank you. Yeah. 
All right. So with the Kickstarter, because it's obviously been mentioned numbers of times already in the American crisis, the book, the campaign book that you guys kickstarted, broad brushstrokes, what is it? What's it going to bring to the game space uh, for folks that are either new to Nations and Canons or are veteran of the, the game setting itself? Yeah. So, so I've talked about some of the other, you know, additional narrative information, but the campaign right. in that uh, is six, might be up to seven. There was a, there was a late stretch goal to, uh, uh, to unlock a new adventure module, which we were very happy to get done. But now it's uh, it it follows through the kind of the, the greatest hits of the first half of the war from Bunker Hill, the siege of Boston, um, uh, infiltrating uh, British occupied New York uh, and and trying to uh, to exfiltrate with uh, one Nathan Hale. Um, the circumstances surrounding the crossing of the Delaware uh, and all an intrigue and loyalist activity going on, uh, you know, on the fringes of that um, moment in time leading up into the Saratoga campaign with two different chapters, one at Oriskany, um, that details what is effectively a civil war uh, among the Haudenosaunee when um, the uh, Oneida and uh, and a, a few other uh, individuals fought against the Mohawk and other, other tribes mm -hmm. um, and actually divided their allegiance leading to um the battles of saratoga uh and all types of uh sort of you know important turning uh point of the war stuff that uh is really important historically and then uh culminating in uh more intrigue and skullduggery uh around valley forge um and and the idea here is uh you are you're kind of forest gumping your way through history a little bit. Um, yeah. uh, you are meeting with uh, these, you know, uh, important figures. Um, you okay. are, you're not quite, um, you know, heroes in and of themselves, but you're members of a, a special intelligence uh, organization. Um, it's similar to uh, the Culper Ring, if you're familiar with uh, this period in history at all, although that doesn't come about until 1778. And that you are sent to kind of experience these important moments um, and okay. to, you know, not to uh, stand on the battlefield and single-handedly win uh, an encounter, right. but to kind of accomplish the key objectives that might, you know, be the the turning points or the sort of you know, deciding factors that then lead into the backdrop of these large-scale battles and engagements and strategic maneuvers that are happening all around you. Mm. See, okay. I like that. So... The players are playing, they're at these little turning points. That's what the stories are focused on, right? The little historical uh, vignettes within the bigger battles. They're not, we're not doing mass battles, right? Nope. No. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your light infantry of the time are, are more or less the sort of commandos of the 18th century. Right? Mm -hmm. And so right. you can be a soldier. In fact, you're probably going to be a soldier, but we also wanted to keep it open again, from a role-playing perspective, if you wanted to be a partisan, right. If you wanted to be uh sort of a, more of a deep cover, you know, agent who's behind enemy lines, uh, gathering information, um, mm -hmm. passing that back and forth. Right. Um, uh, the type of, stuff that is is very liable to get you uh strung up and hanged um you know as a spy if you're caught so it is these types of special operations behind enemy lines foraging and scouting and um 
uh, uh, demolitions work, uh, sabotage that, you know, you're really going to be thrust into to uh, explore those stories. Interesting. I see it not unlike how a lot of people imagine uh, when they play within a Lord of the Rings type game. You know, the the, the core story is still going to unfold as it has in the books and as this will have occurred in history. But you're going to be meeting key players. And even though you're not going to change, you know, the outcome of the Battle of Boston, but your players may be part of the key events that occurred during that. Yep. Uh, and that's and, and, and I love that. And that's always and that's always a kind of a, you know, a question I think some people have for these. I'm not going to call it railroad, but these these events, these events that are that are, you know, written in paper that, you know, you're not going to change. But uh, but how what what is my part in this? You know, I'm not playing Frodo. I'm not playing George Washington, you know, so therefore, what what am I what am I doing here? And it sounds sounds like it, it goes within that aspect, which it's I actually it's a mm-hmm. very interesting design challenge, right? Because yeah. we definitely we don't want the stories to be railroady, but right. we're f- sort of following an established path, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, to back up a bit and, and talk about the the occupied New York story, for instance, right? Sure. Um, the players are going to be sent into that city, which has been effectively conquered and taken over by the British. And they, you know, in 1776, they use it as their stronghold, you know, right until the very end of the war. Um uh, and, you know, the the famous martyr, uh, Nathan Hale, uh, was a, a patriot spy uh, and, and quite frankly, not a very good one um, <laughs> who uh, gets gets captured um, in part because he's still carrying his Yale diploma around uh, with his name on it. That's kind of his credentials. Um, so he bungled that one. But, uh, you know, uh, you as the players, you know, you're going to be, uh, you know, tasked with retrieving some key intelligence that he had you'd be given a couple of different options um you know at this time there's the great fire of new york which burned like a third of the city to the ground um there is uh the world's first combat submarine um uh the turtle which is basically a big oak cask um you know with a couple of propellers on the side of it uh and one of our key our playable uh characters is david bushnell its inventor um so you can you know you can use that submarine to try and and get into new york harbor or cause a distraction or what have you um there's there's side objectives like uh maybe liberating or passing some information to uh, characters on, you know, these prison ships um, that are anchored in, in the harbor. So, you know, while we're talking about the, you know, these big pictures, the backdrop of history, mm-hmm. we give you flexibility to kind of uh, plan your route or, you know, uh, engage with these bonus objectives, which may be counterfactual, right? Um, and then it it is possible uh, it's extremely difficult, but it is possible to to actually successfully get rescue Hale from the British prison and get out of the city with him, right? And so in that case, what what happens? Um, and so we we build, you know, each one of our our chapters there has a kind of an intro and an outro where we talk about this is the historic situation, right. um, and then we give some some advice like, okay, well, if if your players managed to do this thing that didn't happen in history and would have right. had repercussions well what happens you know does does nathan hale then live out the rest of uh of his days under an assumed name maybe the british are you know trying to make an example of him maybe he just lies low you know or or you just 
you lean into it and you lean into the kind of uh, alternate history. And that's totally fine too. It's just that we have these kind of uh, uh, bumper rails where, you know, we, we, we give you the historical context. We let you kind of mess around with it. Um, and if you want to go further afield, that's, that's totally your prerogative as a GM, but we definitely mm-hmm. want to make sure that while we're following the path of history, we still allow for players to to get up and, and do kind of cool and goofy things. I, I wish this was around when I was taking history uh, <laughs> in high school. This I, I you know this would have been awesome to play out these key events and 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 helpful. I mean, I I personally didn't have any problem with history classes, but still, there would have been an added plus. But I know you know children and kids personally that probably would have embraced history better with this as a tool to make it more fun, you know, cause they're going to, you know, we all know this, you know, children absorb information differently. Some people can read the textbook and they're fine. Others can listen to a lecture and others need different methods. And this, God, this would have been so awesome. So that's, that's fantastic. Does Fort Ticonderoga feature in the, uh, in the uh, the new book, fortunately not. We're gonna have a, a write up like on the fort itself as part of that atlas I was talking about. It's okay. not in one of the the adventures. We are always interested in also doing sort of one shot, you know, like PDFs that we can put up sure. on like Drive Through RPG, and that's mm-hmm. one that we've thought about. Um, you know, because Ticonderoga is important in the um the battles that get into Lake Champlain. Um, right. uh, there's, there's sort of a weird naval engagement, which, which involves, uh, everybody's favorite Benedict Arnold. Um, <laughs> uh, our, we have a, a introductory adventure in the, uh, the, the core rules, which, which details the, um, very ill-fated, uh, Patriot invasion of Canada, um, where you're tagging along with Ethan Allen, um, who, you know, famously, uh, was, was one of the ones who, <laughs> took that fort uh in the middle of the night um but the moment itself it, it's not really heroic because he basically just ambushed the fort's commander in his bedclothes when uh when nobody <laughs> knew that hostilities had even been declared and took it right. without a shot being fired nice oh and then not because there was a reason i was asking because um where i grew up in massachusetts is on um knox trail and my hometown is one of the stopovers um when the artillery was was drugged from Boston to Ticonderoga. Yes, so that is the first half of our Siege of Boston adventure, right? Where the first okay. half of that is taking that wagon train, you know, Henry Knox's, uh, uh, I think it's what's come to be called the noble train of artillery in historian circles, right. um, transporting it overland at sort of all the, you know, by oxen you know, over the mountains, Um all the, the difficulties that come into that. And the second part is, okay, now you've got these cannons. You've brought them to Boston and Washington's getting ready to, to mount them on Dorchester Heights, right? And and the Patriots did this overnight. They had this sort of frenzy of activity where they built these battlements and put these cannons up there. You know, so by the morning, uh, when, when the dawn rose, the British were absolutely astonished. Suddenly, you know, uh, the Patriots had the big guns that were able to uh, reach into the city and and threaten their vulnerable positions. And that's how they had to withdraw. And so the second half of our, our Siege of Boston adventure, which is, again, a little counterfactual, it's it's, it's sort of this like high stakes, you know, uh, larger than life uh, aspect that we get into is to let the players get into Boston, you know, sneak into the city uh, overnight and just cause mischief and distract the British so that they don't notice the construction that is happening on those hills and those cannons getting mounted on there. See, I like um, that, though. I think that yeah. allows and I, and I mentioned this to Scott um, previous to having you in the studio of just about kind of the game in general 
is it's that type of thing that allows the players to get down to the action, you know, into the story and where they're the things that they do have an impact without changing the the high level history that's happening. Because we're not going to yeah. change the siege of Boston. It it is yep. what it is, unless you want to do some alternate history stuff. And that's and I encourage that too. Right. Um but it's those little things like right, you know, like you said, going around Boston with objectives of distracting, you know, contingents of British soldiers uh from noticing what the what the Patriots are doing in terms of building embattlements and you know, bringing in the cannon and all of that. I think that's interesting story stuff, mm -hmm. you know, from a from a player perspective and a, and a game master perspective. Right. So, yeah, it's it's finding ways to inject players kind of at the periphery and give them heroic moments that yeah. aren't. Well, I'm you know, I'm I'm in the line on yet another one of these major pitched battles, which is just because, you know, never really interesting for a kind of a a squad level uh, role playing game. Right. Now, there, there's a reason why the only war RPG for Warhammer 40k didn't do, do too well. Because, <laughs> you know, you might as well just play, you know, the uh, the miniature game at that point. So, yeah, but, but it gets it like Keith said, it gets them involved into the game. But it's more than just, hey, we're just essentially playing through a history textbook. too. Yeah. Uh, what, what we do have, which is kind of interesting there is, um, it, you know, the game is set up to be very much asymmetric where we don't have enemies that are okay here's the the red coat commander he's got 100 hit points and you can you can take 20 musket shots right like you know that Ugh, yeah. starts to get the bullet sponge enemy design is boring but also it it's very it, it'll you know shake you out of the the period very fast right um and so rather than having that we have uh encounters that are you know encourage a game the game master to run you know, outnumber the players with, you know, uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 enemies at a time, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, where each individual red coat is relatively weak, but they can fire a volley. You know, the sergeant can, can order a volley and the officer, uh, you know, standing on his horse can improve the effectiveness of that volley. They're all taking their actions simultaneously. So rather than, you know, combat bogging down with each goblin rolling an attack roll, right? Mm -hmm. You can have large numbers of enemies on the field and the game will still, you know, run and execute pretty cleanly. Um, and then things like, you know, artillery emplacements effectively function they 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 fire you know in lines or in cones if they're using grape shot right um like dragons of the day you know um right. they need to be reloaded after uh use and so there's you're still rolling that d6 um to see if if the crew is able to successfully load the piece um and you want to be targeting the crew not uh not the cannon itself of course right. and uh, without fail every time i put a cannon on the field um players their number one goal is to storm it to to get rid of its <laughs> occupants and to turn it back you know on the enemy um which is awesome right like it's like uh, artillery becomes such a a, a fun thing for players because then they just roll these incredibly large numbers of dice um and and get that kind of childish glee <laughs> oh, yeah. on their face yeah, the uh, the idea of of mooks essentially, you know, which you you have that temporary moment of just I'm a super badass, you know, and you're just you're just mowing through all of them. They can hurt you, but you you can hurt them a lot lot more. Uh, I think was it fourth edition that introduced mooks generally to D and D. Uh, I, I could be wrong with that, but minions but I think was the was the term something like that. Possibly, yeah. Essentially, yeah. just one hit point, yeah, or yeah, you so. know, just just to make them feel you know 
super heroic and super powered, you know, for, yeah. for a moment to add flavor to it. But yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's an, uh, that is another important aspect too. And, and kind of going back to the game mechanic thing. Yes. Uh, hit points, hit point uh, sponges in D and D I think is one of the, the biggest hurdle to climb when you're dealing with firearms and Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, when it's, when it's done correctly, it works, but when it's not, you're right. It can kind of take you out of the moment, you know, of like, yeah, I've, I've shot this guy, you know, with this M16 15 times now and he's still standing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what the hell? So it doesn't yeah. work like that in real life. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah. We, we, we balanced it pretty carefully so that your average musket shot is enough to drop, you know, a standard British regular. Right. And right. that's, that's important, right? It's, it's yeah. uh, that, that we're, you know, we're, we really, we want there to be a lot of damage flying around. We want, um, cover and where you're positioned and where you're yes. positioned, where you reload, um, you know, to be important. And so that level of lethality, um, and, you know, uh, and increased, uh, emphasis on range, uh, combat and, and linear warfare, um, actually takes the kind of combat dynamic of 5e and, and freshens it up in some interesting places. That's one yeah. of the, one of the best times to have is when you have people who are relatively used to 5e, Enter, enter into like another game or system, so to speak, that uses modern warfare mechanics, you know, guns and things such as that. Suddenly the the concept of cover, you know, it just dawns on them because, you know, for most of fifth edition, they're not worrying about it. They're yeah. just, you know, going toe to toe and just, you know, being hit point sponges. And then then suddenly, you know, one one shot takes them down, you know, either one shot, completely. One kill, yeah. Yeah. They're like, holy crap. I'm like, cover. Come on, yeah. it's the, I, I put this giant stone wall in front of you. Get behind it, damn it! And uh, and, and we've got our <laughs> our enemies, you know, like our cannon crews or those you know standard oh, red coats, you know, set up with passive abilities that they they get those buffs by they have to be standing in a line to do a volley fire, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so that means if you if you kill the sergeant before you can issue the volley, there's counterplay, right? Yeah. If you disrupt the line, you know, if a, a kind of a a melee character manages to get in there well then they can't you know they're gonna have disadvantage on their attacks right um if you have you know you're firing hail shot uh which which is an aoe or uh or throwing a grenade and grenades in this time period are you know like a big ball of iron packed with gunpowder like you see in in pirate cartoons right um you know uh which which were not used which you know if they misfire that's blowing up in your face baby and you gotta make sure that you're pretty careful about that but can be you know devastatingly effective um at clearing the line and so you know uh being in a position being able to you know uh to clear groups mm -hmm. of enemies at once is, is something that that becomes also important right so mechanically i have another question some other games out there have instances where the player's actions leading up to like a, a pitched battle will influence the pitched battle you know even though they're just a, a a, a speck in the grand scheme of things right do you guys have anything that addresses that like the players the thing that they're doing you know whether it's distracting the red coats so that the the embattlements can be dug and the you know whatever it is is there any kind of a like in-game economy where their actions will will affect the outcome of not i'm not talking like a it's, big it's kind of more at the narrative level where like okay. those those battle you know like we're not going to roll for the battle of monmouth to see what what happens you right know? um but you know the players have their individual the players have their their 
marching orders, right? That they're given to kind of, you know, try and sure. take on these these special operations. They also have individual um, objectives, right? So, you know, um, if I'm playing as Anna Maria Lane and I'm infiltrating New York to try and, and, and one of my objectives is uh, there's those prison ships. Well, her husband was captured um and and you know wasn't on that prison ship and and she might want to try and get over there and achieve that you know her, her uh, uh something that is tied to her personal story so each of our pre-made characters has these key moments that are threaded throughout the campaign giving them okay. their own individualized objectives um you know as far as uh as having the battle as as representing larger battles you know um through dice rolls it's something that we we might build a system you know, if we get to the point where we're, uh, you know, we always get asked, like, what else do you want to work on? Um, people always ask about, you know, naval combat um, and, uh, you know, the golden age of piracy. The other one is, you know, Sharps rifles, the Peninsular War or, you know, the anything having to Charleston. do with the Napoleonic era. Right. Come oh, absolutely. Charleston yeah. For, for, for the flagship game. Come to Charleston. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the the second half of the 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 British Southern strategy and the second half of the uh, the American uh, Revolution, of course, right? Um, and so, like that, those are places where we might think about building additional subsystems. You know that can can work into nations and canons. Um, okay, I could see that the, for like Peninsular War stuff. Yeah, yeah. A D and D second edition battle system. It's already done for you. Uh, <laughs> no that's trash don't use it uh, <laughs> don't use that. Don't i use wasn't that. sure if you were being uh <laughs> oh no 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 facetious enough. no yeah I mean, you should, yeah, yeah keith keith knows i i am 99.9 percent facetious in most everything so yeah <laughs> but yeah uh but no i i mean again uh just so i kind of reiterate you know this to me you know with any sort of fifth edition game that comes out there's always going to be a bit of speculation is this just another 5e car wrap is this just another you know cash grab as you had mentioned earlier as as far as i'm concerned and i probably also think keith you've satisfied that uh that concern and then some you, you you've obviously you and your team have put forth what sounds to be a fantastic game that has been well researched and, and handled with with care and respect for the material and and i think that's important with this particular uh you know historical setting uh is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners uh in regards to the game you already mentioned something that's coming but uh anything else you would like to reference in regards to um uh, nations and canons and, and flag bear games yeah uh so if you want you know the the kickstarter has closed uh but we just presently are are setting up our um backer kit solution to okay. allow for late pledges um and so that late pledge store i think has just opened as of a couple of days ago you should be able to log on um and access you know pre-order all the materials um we all of our pdfs um are available you know straight through uh drive through rpg um and like i said uh pre-generated characters and all that material just available on our website mm -hmm. um one one product that we didn't get a chance to talk about, which which I actually have been working on a new version for um, just lately, um, is is our Misfire deck, um, and that is uh, sort of a, a critical fumbles deck that has everything you know, uh, lots of places where we can go into specific detail. You know, we have a Misfire rule that's pretty broad in general for 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 firearms, and we've approached it with 
you know, kind of care and diligence to make that a kind of an interesting thing, but not something that completely, you know, uh, uh, demolishes a, a fighter or a martial character and, and, and robs them of fun. And the idea of, of, you know, these types of effects is they can range from kind of quirky, uh, cards to ones that are catastrophic um sometimes beneficial uh, your your shot might go wide and you know lodge in the uh the the hatch uh or the hinge of a door uh preventing enemies from storming <laughs> into it um you you might kick up a cloud of uh of smoke you know from the action of your your gun that could conceal you and actually give you you know a benefit there um and that's ways where you know we've uh, done a lot of specific research and research on material culture, working with uh, with reenactors on our staff to think about all the the the, the nitty gritty particulars of um, of small arms, grenades, and artillery, and and how they misfire. And every misfire deck also comes with a PDF. This is you know, like I was talking about before um, uh, of, of of an additional supplement called Flintlocks and Fulminates which expands our firearm rules, you know, out to past the American Revolution um, to kind of the matchlock era and far forward with new mechanics like um, revolvers, um, early kind of prototype uh, lever action Winchester stuff. Um, uh, my personal favorite uh, are elephant guns, <laughs> um, uh, which have a trait called stopping power uh, to stop that charging rhino in its tracks. Um, and, you know, that's all stuff that we think, you know, we can use uh, to to tell stories as far forward as the American Civil War um, right. using the nations and canons rules. I have the first version of the deck, and I think it's fantastic. I like the the variety it adds. I like the the good, the bad, you know, the results. Right. I, I think they're they're unique and they're fun, and add you know a nice bit of flavor. But so you're saying there's going to be a revised version of that coming. Mm -hmm. With, yep, that's correct. Incorporating new research, new you know, um, new new effects. research, new historical quotes, um, you know, okay. kind of like revised content throughout. Um, and this is you know, we always want to support uh, our fans who've who've uh, helped us get this. You know, this this started as a passion project um, throughout COVID that we're just kind of working yeah. on. Um, you know, all of us have day jobs, right? Um, and so, you know, whenever we do an update or a refresh of our product line, um, if you have a copy of the original, um, you know, just get in touch with us, shoot us an email. We'll give you 50% off on uh, on the, the new version if you want to purchase it. But, you know, uh, okay. I, I think we've, wow. we've had uh, a lot of success, you know, just getting word of mouth from going to conventions, running games, meeting people um, that, that led us to a successful Kickstarter. And now I think we've got, you know, Lots of opportunities, both in the educational space and also just making, you know, cool uh, products for for consumers, for for D and D fans um, to explore this period and and other cool stories set during the long 18th century. All right. Excellent. So, where can listeners find you guys in the convention scene the rest of this summer and into the fall? And rattle off your website your your social media presence yeah stuff where they yeah can find you guys so our our website is nationsandcanons.com um and you can get good jump directly to the kickstarter uh by our, our uh, we pick up a custom url for it which is your dad will love this.com um i remember uh, that <laughs> We uh, we also have a a, a Discord oh. um, that's got a, you know it's the community is, is active and growing which is really heartening to see I'll, I'll definitely shoot you guys a link so you can, can okay, add yeah, it to please. the, the doobly doo yep. um, and uh, you know all of our sort of standard socials um, 
uh, yeah, the conventions we're going to be attending this year uh, definitely are uh, Gen Con um, in Indianapolis, Nova Open, uh, which will be in uh, and around the D.C. area, uh, and then uh, PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia um, cool. in December. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And then Very you cool. might be able to see Nations and Cannons products um, on the show floor because we're partnering with a couple other uh, distributors to just uh, bring it to the other cons we're not physically attending as well. Listeners yeah. can now find you guys. That's awesome. Oh, well, again, Pat, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, this this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, and and for our listeners, you know, I hope you you enjoyed this and, and definitely check out you know, Nations and Cannons. Uh, this is something that I'm now officially interested in more He's so. He's a turncoat now. I yes, <laughs> I'm a turncoat. I I I although the the sooner I see in the NPC list on your website, the uh, Ben Franklin Horny Bard might sell me a little more. Uh, so feel free, listeners, if you feel there should be a Ben Franklin Horny Bard on the website, you can write us at never mind. Uh, but. Uh, but no, so yes, I, I I'm going to definitely pick up a copy, and I will be putting, um, you know, the uh, my my educator friends, the history teachers, and the ones running the D and D clubs, at, you know, both the high schools, in contact with you. Would would love to see your product uh, in their classroom and at the table. Well, so Keith? yeah, um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for selling Scott. <laughs> I've been trying for a year <laughs> since Gen Con last year. I think I think we got back to our our accommodations because there's a whole group of us rented a house. I was just smitten with the the sales pitch, you know, the elevator pitch, and from your team, I'm all over it. I I like it. I think I got a little bit better grasp of the gambits now. That was like my one hang up, but I think yeah. I my headspace is is in the right place to to grok it now. Which yeah, is same good. here, same here. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the new book. So, yeah, that's going to be a thing. Runner, play this soon, Scott. Yeah. Just oh, saying. no, I mean, no, Keith, you sound like you're going to be running it any any day now. So, you know, consider some consider... other games to finish first. What? Don't, F- don't, don't overload you, me. But don't say that in front of our guests. We do that after he's gone. No, uh, yes, no, no, you're no, going to play but, it right now, Keith. <laughs> but it'll it'll get it'll get to the table and um, we'll get Scott further hooked into it. So. So with that, uh, again, Pat, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And listeners, look for all of his information in the description in the doodly-doo. And we will now be moving on to our next segment. Hey, Titterpigs fam. Just a quick reminder. We do have our Patreon going on. It's patreon.com slash titterpigs. You can show your support there. We have two tiers for you, a $3 and a $6 tier. So show us some love and be part of our growing community. I would also like to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters. We've got Dr. Mitch, Jason Sheets, Bud from Bud's RPG Review, Dwayne Costa, William Payne, Lupus Malum, and Salt Heart. 